ladies and gentlemen. Men. There is two. All right. Thank you for being patient. I was sick and gone, and then we have this week, next week, and then that's it. We're done. It's hard to believe. Uh, as you saw, the uh, Pinewood Derby cars are getting weighed in. So next week, May 6th is our last week. And then the 13th, if you want to come see a great time, they have the Pinewood Derby, hot dogs. If you're not into hot dogs, come anyhow. It's always a good time. And that will be the 13th. And then we're already in kind of our summer mode, so it's going quickly. Uh, tonight, we're looking at the question, and our... I almost said our good friend, I wouldn't put him in that sentence, a religious man has created a firestorm, he's a well-known leader, I'll bring his, his attention, your attention to him, about that issue, is Jesus the only way, alright, so let's start with a word of prayer, and we'll get rolling here tonight. Our Father, we do thank you that you have given us another day of life and breath and so much more. And we thank you that what you have ordained for this day has gone exactly the way you've planned. There's been no surprises, no uncertainties, uh, no things that caught you off guard. They may have caught us off guard, but yet we thank you that in that plan, eternally established, it included us. And we thank you for that. And we thank you that as we are continuing to look at sharing our faith, that there are still many, many more who need Christ. Uh, even in places like Nepal, where many have died and who lived a religious, a very religious life, but yet without Christ. So, Father, help us tonight to be able to carefully walk through this issue. Jesus is the only way, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. All right. In that first paragraph, if you're on page 10.1 on Overview the Issue, about Six sentences down, it says this. If you found that spot, it says this. For many, he's talking about our culture has grown more diverse and pluralistic. If you've seen the word pluralistic or pluralism throughout, all that's saying is society looks at that there is a variety of views that are options. In other words, instead of just being one way, it's like, no, there's a smorgasbord way of getting to God. Well, here's what this next sentence that I draw attention to in that first paragraph it says, for many, tolerance has emerged as the greatest virtue that today in our culture, and I mean worldwide, but especially where we're seeing it very vividly in our culture in America, that tolerance is the virtue, us standing for a one and only God, a one and only way, a one and only truth. We are not virtuous. We are the monsters. We are the bad people. We are the... Not just the right, but the radical, ridiculous, bad right. All right, uh, we're the people that I, I gotta confess. When we're on vacation, we watched the Bruce Jenner interview. Um, it was like watching another version of Michael Jackson. Two dudes that are just goofed up mentally and try to Michael Jackson as a forty-year-old kid, kid, forty-year-old kid, forty-year-old man building Neverland, it was like he was trying to live a childhood that he never lived growing up because of the life he had. And Bruce Jenner, I still remember him winning the decathlon in 76. I'm old enough to remember that. I was 16. Do the math. All right? I saw that. How in the world did he become what he is today? Well, obviously, I, I don't agree that there's a, there's a, a 
the soul of a woman dwelling in him, I do believe that there is a huge total depravity dwelling in him as well as the rest of us. And that can lead to a lot of goofed up thinking because depravity affects us and every part of us, particularly our thinking. But to say those things, you're all going, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. But if I did that out in the street or did that if I walked into a a pub or something like that where people were just talking about stuff, I would be booed and hissed out the door, and I would be the bad guy. I mean, it would be drunks and people, wife beaters and everything else in there, but I would still be the bad guy, and we would be the bad people. So what we want to consider is this question. If I say to you, is Jesus the only way, what is your answer? Yes. Okay. Anybody hedging on that at all tonight? All right. Okay, now here's my second question. That follow-up is, we say our, our immediate response is yes, of course. But my question is, why do we conclude that way? Why do we conclude that way? Why do we do so so quickly? Because the word tells us. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Now, but and I'm just playing the devil's advocate a little bit here. An unsafe person can read that the Bible says that. He can read John 14.6. He can easily memorize John 14.6 because you could do it in a few minutes, really. But he still would not conclude what we conclude. He would still find a way to go around the back alley and go, but it doesn't really say that, all right? Why do we so quickly respond that way? And I'm just kind of pushing back a little bit. Again, and you're answering right, Scripture. Anything in particular that, that grabs your mind scripturally to answer that question? Why do we respond to God? Well, why, why is it that we have concluded that? How is it, I should say, not just why, scripturally, how is it that we've concluded that? Yeah. If there was any other way to get into heaven, then it completely uh, contradicts what Jesus did on the cross. Okay, it, absolutely. It, it makes it meaningless. Okay. Can, can, and I'm going to push even a little bit further, because that's exactly right. Push even further. Can you think of any scriptures that that draw our attention to the fact that why we conclude that way so quickly? Any scriptures that come to your mind? Dana? Jesus said, you know, I am the way. If there were, if they, well, I'm going to blow this now. That's right. I'm the way, but if there were another way, I would tell you so. Yeah. Okay, so we're seeing that, and I, and I know I'm asking a question, you're like, I have no idea what you're talking about, so let's just cut to the chase. Right. But I think, well, Go I ahead. think what you're saying is that you have to have the Holy Spirit in okay. order to see that. Okay, very good. And here's where I'm hitting at, and I'm trying to look up the verses on my phone, which I'm not so nimble with it, trying to do it quickly. All right, here is, I won't read all the verses, I'll just ask you to mark down these reference. Second Corinthians chapter 4. Here's why we answer that way. Here's why we automatically say yes, of course. Second Corinthians chapter 4 verse 3 tells us that the gospel is, we are blinded to the gospel by the God of this world. But, God and His grace, it goes on to say, that... In verse 5, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So, I would put down in my answer to that, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 to 6. The reason why we so quickly answer yes to that is because God has done that in our hearts and lives. 
we were blinded to the truth, but now the light of the gospel shows in our hearts and shows us that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. So therefore, we need to listen to him and recognize he is the only way. All right? So that's, and I was kind of fishing around on it. Now, let me just jump to a, an illustration that hopefully will make sense. It may look a little weird for a moment. Ever heard this statement before? If you repeat some versions of this statement, if you repeat a lie often enough, people will believe it, and you even come to believe it yourself. I've often wrestled with and kind of concluded in light of a statement like this Why does Satan know all of God's word from Genesis to Revelation? He knows at the end, in the book of Revelation, he's going to be defeated, he's going to be destroyed, but he's still going to try anyhow. He's going to do everything that God said he would do. Why? Yeah. Because he hates humanity and he wants to take as many of us down with him. Okay, absolutely. But I'm going to go even deeper in the pool than that. And that is, Jesus said he is a liar and the father of all lies. And and I and I, I've often seen with people, when I, I remember when Carol and I were early married, one of our, I think Caleb was maybe a couple years old, had a neighbor in the apartment by us. I remember this lady going, I'm a really good liar, talking about lying with the landlord or something. I'm like, that's not a really good thing. Because what happens is really good liars, if they continue to be really good liars, grow to believe their own lies. And Satan being a master liar for all the millennia, uh, he believes his own lies. Well, the reason I'm bringing this quote up is, who made that quote? You ever thought about where that quote came from? You ever heard in history where it might have come from? Okay, well, hopefully your sister is not equal to this picture. I was only thinking Hitler. Okay, Okay, so there's where we would have gone. I would have gone here first. But it was really this guy, Joseph Goebbels, which was, he was Hitler's propaganda minister. He was, he was the... I didn't know that. There you go. History teacher. But he was the one that was spinning things to make people believe things about the Jews or whatever. He was the one that supposedly this statement has been attributed to. Now, again, it's kind of hard to fish fish it all out, find exactly where. And so you say, well, why do you bring up that statement, talking about lies? Because these two men, along with their cohorts, spun some incredibly bad lies that led to the death of millions of people. Now, that's bad. And that sounds like, well, that's an understatement. That's tragic. That's incredibly bad. That's evil beyond evil. So why would I put these two pictures up with these two people? Because they're doing just the same thing. Okay. Here's why. Okay, that's that's going to look really blunt. Let me let me show you why. Let me give you one verse to say this is why. You're like, who is that? <laughs> it's good old Oprah. I just found out my daughter when she wanted something to drink from Starbucks. She wanted an iced Oprah chai latte. I've never heard of such a thing. I mean, not only are her quotes making it on the cups, but now drinks are named after her. I have no idea why. It's okay. because the money goes to educate the girls over there. Is that what it is? Okay. Well, that's good. <laughs> All right. Let me let me read you one verse here. Why I've thrown that in, and I should have pulled this up while I was pulling up the other verses. Here's what it says about. Here's what Jesus said, and he makes a statement that sometimes we look right past in Matthew chapter ten. Matthew chapter ten, Jesus says this, and do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. 
Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body and hell. Matthew 10, 28. So how does that fit into this picture right here? Well, Jesus, even though he would not in any way elevate these men as good men, he would say, the worst they can do is kill you. Now, when I get to Matthew 10, 28, they're doing something, quite frankly, that could be a lot worse. Because they're getting people to believe a lie that will lead to an eternal judgment, which Jesus himself said is a lot worse than what those guys did. Now, I'm not in any way want you to walk out of here going, let's be a little what they did. No, they were evil beyond evil. I mean, incredibly evil. But eternally speaking, the worst thing that they did was took people's lives. These people could be taking people's eternity away from them, and that could never change. All right? So... I say that because, assuming this works, if it doesn't work, then we move on. It's called YouTube. All right? All right, here is Joel, good old Joel, talking with... Oh, I didn't bring my speakers. All right. Hopefully you're going to hear this, otherwise it's going to defeat the point. How would you explain God? Ridiculous. I can hear this. Can you hear this? How would I explain God it has... Ah, uh, crying out loud. Can you turn the laptop to face us? Do you want me to go get speakers? Turn really yeah, laptop? can you do that? And we'll like, we'll like, da, 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 we'll stalk, stalk something else while we're waiting. But All there's right, also I, the volume on the video itself. Yeah, I put it <coughs> I put it all the way up, but I've got little doinky speakers, and I, I meant to bring mine, but I plugged right into it, and I realized I did not do that. So, yes, we'll come back to that because... Uh, Oprah, on her previous Oprah show and other places, has been famous for trumpeting the different, many different ways to God, and then point blank asking that question. Second interview, if we get to see a few minutes or a minute of it, is uh, Joel Olstein uh, with Larry King, and, and a woman who calls in kind of calls Joel Olstein on the carpet. So it's kind of interesting what, what's said. And if you Google Joel Olstein and Ways to God, I mean, you'd be amazed how many YouTube videos. And there's some long, extended ones that are pretty, <coughs> pretty telling. But all that being said is I, I want to reiterate the fact that that is why I put this picture in this way. And that is, yes, I, I, I'm not trying to make people walk out of here going, you know, they're as, they're as evil as them. I, honestly, I almost want to say they could be potentially more evil based on what Jesus said because the ramifications of what they have done go far beyond this life. And that's part of the issue. Thank you so much. Are you speaking, Hill, about where you explain God to a non-believer? I would explain God as the creator, a heavenly father of someone that wants to be in relationship with you, just um, as somebody that's for you, as a friend. Okay, so here's the big question. Are there many paths to get to the one God? Well, I believe, Oprah, that there, I believe that Jesus is the way to the one God. 
but I believe there are many paths to Jesus. You know, you don't know how Jesus would reveal himself to somebody. So I'm not into excluding people. Jesus can reveal himself to anybody. Does that mean that all... Wow. Okay. People, all races, obviously, in your, your, your church, we see all people, all races. I can't imagine that you would have 16,000 people in there and none of them would be gay. So are gay people also included? Absolutely. Anybody. You, you know, you know. Okay, now I purposely, intentionally only wanted to go a minute of that. And it's not like trying to be unfair going, I'm going to let him misquote himself. There's many videos you can watch. But if you notice the slippery way he answered that question. All right, he started out sounding pretty good. God's the creator, he's a father, he's a friend. Okay, that friend can be a little slippery slope because, quite frankly, Scripture is very clear. Until I become a child of God, I am the enemy of God. I'm under his judgment. He is my eternal judge. So he's not our friend until the other side of putting our faith and trust in Christ. But when she said, oh, there are many ways, she said, he said, the answer, again, that sounded good. Well, Jesus is, though I believe Jesus is the way, but there are many paths to Jesus, which has been a roundabout way of where he and many other like him have said, yeah, I, I and he, well, let him speak for himself, with Larry King. <laughs> Phoenix, Arizona, hello. Hello, Larry, you're the best. And thank you, Joel, Joel for your positive message and your book. I'm wondering, though, um, why you sidestepped Larry's earlier question about how we get to heaven. Um, the Bible clearly tells us that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the light, and the only way to the Father is through him. That's not really a message of condemnation, but of truth. Yeah, I would agree with her. I believe that. So then That's a what Jew you... is not going to heaven. No, I... I, I mean, well, here's my thing, Larry, is I can't judge somebody's heart, you know. I don't know. Only God can look at somebody's heart, and so... I don't know. I just, to me, it's not my business to say, you know, this one is or this one isn't. I'm just saying, here's what the Bible teaches, and I want to put my faith in, uh, you know, in Christ. And I, I just, I think it's wrong when we go around saying, you know, you're not going, you're not going, you're not going, because it's not exactly my way. I'm just, I'm but not going to be believe involved. your way. I believe my way. I believe my way with all my heart. But for someone who doesn't share it, well, it is wrong. And yeah. well. I don't know if I look at it like that. I would I would present my way, but I'm just going to let God be the judge of that. I, mean, I don't know. I don't know. Okay, so, again, he's, he's, he is answering it but not answering it. Um, and, and, again, I'm not trying to, it's not like pick Joel Olstein apart at night. Um, it is just the reality of where he and others like him have gone to where he said, I'm not going to be the judge. I... I, I believe it's the only way, but I'm not going to judge these people, this sort of thing. Well, yeah, if they don't believe what you say you believe, they are wrong. And you're not judging them. You're saying what God has said. But it's like he's avoiding saying what God has said because if he says what God has said, then he will think that people will view him as judging others. Well, we're not judging others. It may sound like that to others, but the reality is we're simply, as 2 Corinthians 5 says, we are ambassadors for Christ. What does an ambassador do? The ambassador from America to China, the ambassador from America to Brazil, what do they do? Do they go there with their own message and tell them, hey, this is what I think? No, they are representing the President of the United States. As a Christian, we represent the message of the King. It may not be well received in other cultures and other peoples, and obviously from Scripture, it won't be. I mean, it's it's a message that is against the mindset of people. So, 
that being said, go back to our books. We'll skip. We're done with the art, the little videos. And that was our entertainment for the night. If you look at <coughs> page 10.1, I mentioned if you if you got to do the homework, and I probably goofed you all up. Because if you did get the email uh, that I sent out on Monday, if you did get it, I said, this is the homework for this week, but it really is the homework for next week. So then you're really confused. So it's like, all right, we're on chapter 10. So you're all just like... He's an idiot. All right. So, assuming your did or didn't do it is beyond the point. 10.1, down in the sound bites, third one down, it says this. All religions are simply different paths leading up the same mountain. Have any of you ever heard someone say that or something like that? And if so, I mean, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who have you heard say something like that? When I grew up as a Muslim household. Okay. Same God. We're all going... um, different directions, but we're all going to end up in the same place. Okay. Okay. Very interesting. You often hear people say that when you're in a discussion with them about it, and you and you assert the truth that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by Him. If, if you go in that direction at all, then they then they want to go, oh, well, yeah, but you know, we all come from different directions. We're all going to the same place. Right. Absolutely. And suddenly... They default to the popular notion. The popular notion is what we said earlier in this article, uh, or at the beginning of the introduction. It says, for many, tolerance has emerged as the greatest virtue. And that is to say that Jesus is the only way is not virtuous. To say that there are many ways, then God is really loving because he's letting people come their own way through all these different religions. Anybody else? Heard it from other people? Heard it growing up? Uh, impacted you, or even maybe at some point you wrestled with that before you became a Christian. I don't know. I mean, I, I say that because I had this is a neat, really quick story. When we first were in China, there was a guy there. Uh, he wasn't Chinese, but he was, was he married at the time. Yeah, he was married to a Chinese girl. He had been there for a few couple years working, learn a few years working, learned Chinese incredibly well. Was working as a young businessman. And his Chinese was phenomenal because he, he had a Chinese wife who learned it, worked business. And I remember within a couple months sitting with him, he rode his bike. We went to this coffee shop. I remember exactly where where it was, May 4th Square down in the downtown part of Qingdao. And he was talking about he was wrestling with Christianity, Baha'i, and I can't for the life of me think what the other one was. But he was going to compare these because he was wrestling with which one is right because he... He, he wanted to come to that conclusion. So he's reading through. His conclusion was going to do this. I'm going to read through the Bible from cover to cover and make a decision. And my co-worker, Rob Clark, and I kept going, man, let's, why don't you just skip to the New Testament? Skip the Old Testament, jump into the New Testament, because that's a long read, and some people may get bogged down and go, yeah, this just ain't working. But he kept reading. And he and his wife came on Sunday mornings to our small international uh, uh, house church that we had in our apartment preach, and I can remember preaching at times and trying to be very specific on how I was making clear the gospel, because I'm thinking, he's still plotting through the Old Testament. Well, he trusted Christ, and he only made it as far as the book of Ezekiel. And I'm like, so how did you get saved through the book of Ezekiel? And believe it or not, his firstborn son, he named him? Ezekiel, yeah. And now they have four kids, and they're back here in America. But I, I remember him wrestling with different ways and trying to conclude what it was. But I also remember similarly talking with him as with Ed, the Chinese guy that I mentioned, I think, in the past, mm-hmm. saying that 
at the end of the day, the only way you're going to conclude what I have concluded from Scripture is if God opens your eyes to see that. Well, God chose to open his eyes halfway through the book of Ezekiel. And it wasn't simply because it was only that. He was getting the gospel on a number of different ways uh, through our, our, our international house church small group of people, others. We were sharing the gospel with him, different things. Um, so God used that. But, again, he was wrestling with these many different ways. And Baha'i is kind of like a smorgasbord. You know, bring it all in there, mix it all in, and whatever comes out, comes out. That's kind of part of the thinking there. So where we come down to this issue, uh, I'm just I'm just skipping stuff because I realize I want to go to this. I'm going to skip this for this week, even though that's against my better judgment. Here we come down to this question right here. What is the central question for us? Because we say... We're like, yeah, Jesus is the only way. But we also admit, as we have admitted so far here tonight, that's not a popular answer. Uh, that's not a well-received answer. Uh, we're going to get called bigoted. We're going to get called different things. So what is the central question? What are we trying to wrestle through? So, again, this is my simplistic answer of what I think the issue is. For me personally... How do I effectively communicate Jesus is the only way to God Christianity? In other words, I believe it, but how do I effectively communicate it? And that doesn't just simply mean I walk around quoting John 14, 6 all the time. I mean, I can say, you know, backwards, forwards, upside, downside, whatever. That isn't the point. The point is, I believe it, but I'm not going to. And again, at the end of the day, I am not Joel Olstein's God. I pray that someday he will come to genuine faith. If he really believes it, he will turn to following that faith as a true disciple would. And that is not just being willing to state it, but stand for it. Because he states it, and he steps away from it. Almost like, let God take the blame on that one, because I'm a great guy, sort of thing. That's, that's not a disciple. A disciple is like Jesus' disciples who, yeah, they, they turned tail and ran, but at the end of the day, when they saw what he did and they saw the message of the cross, his resurrection, it transformed them so that all of them, as history would show, all of them suffered some type of martyr death other than John. Um, so it's one of those things where if we believe it, if we say it, how do we communicate it in a way that isn't overly offensive. It's going to be offensive, all right? It's just the way it, the way it is. It's going to be offensive, but how can we do it in such a way that isn't just automatically turning people off? So let's go to the scriptures here. Uh, 10.2 through 10.4. Matter of fact, before we go to the scriptures, let's go to page 10.5 for just a moment, all right? The article, it's offensive to claim Jesus is the only way to God. Um, from uh, from the case for faith by Lee Strobel. If you look at that far left column on 10.5, talks about this guy Walter Chaplinsky, which I'd never heard of Walter Chaplinsky before, didn't know that this court case went where it did, 1940 to 1942, to the Supreme Court. But he was, in, in his day, denouncing organized religion as a racket. Well, understand... America back in the 1940s was quite a religious country. Um, 1950s, it was still Ozzie and Harriet. You know, 1960s, Beatles and then on. You know, it just went from there and right on down, okay? But he was the bad guy at that time for speaking against religion. He was, 
he was creating a ruckus, and the words he used were called fighting words. All right, that's what was used to describe what he said. Well, all that being said, do I have my plug in? Okay, so I just lost power. All that being said, it goes on to say at the beginning of this article, fighting words today are not lashing out against religion or Christianity. To some people, it says. The, the most outrageous words are the words of Jesus Christ. When Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. Because people today will consider those to be fighting words. Those to be narrow, arrogant-minded, uh, narrow-minded, arrogant, bigoted. That's what we're wrestling with. Now, let's go back to page 10.2, John 3.16. I grew up in the day where watching football... Back in the day, there was always somebody. I mean, they paid people to do this. They had John 3.16 in the end zone. So every time the extra point or field goal was kicked, there was somebody that had bought tickets. They did this over and over. So that when the field goal was kicked, up went John 3.16. So the world saw that. But here's the verses we know well, and it asked us a real basic question. And I'll just read these verses. For God so loved the world... <coughs> that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Now, these verses are probably quite familiar to us. The problem is... uh, we often see that familiarity with things, I, I, I won't say breeds contempt, but familiarity without commitment can breed contempt. And that is, we don't stay committed to these truths, and therefore we, yeah, okay, it's John three sixteen. But here's the basic question. As we're looking at this issue, is Jesus the only way? It's it, the question we posed of the two that we chose, uh, one that we chose is, according to these verses, how is salvation attained? So let's start with a simple question. According to these three verses, how is salvation attained? How do we get saved? And don't, don't, don't be afraid to just answer thinking he's looking for a trick question, a trick answer. I need a trick answer. This is like the easiest answer so far tonight. Yes. We acknowledge that we don't measure up to God, that there is a price for our rebellion toward him, and that Jesus paid the price for that rebellion as God's only begotten son. Okay. Now, you're you're absolutely right. But you know what you're doing? You're doing what all of us do because we've been a believer for a while. We answer with the rest of Scripture brought into this question. This question is simply saying, what do these three verses, how do we attain salvation? And you're absolutely right, Phyllis. Okay. Make it real simple. By believing in Jesus Christ. Now, I agree with you 110%, everything you said, Phyllis. But now, here's the harder question. Based on these three verses, what do we see in here that tells us what does believe in Him mean? Because here's the distortion, here's the twistedness of our Christianity at times. Uh, I know if I say this, you go, yeah, I heard this before. Easy believism. All right? Easy believism. And that is, it's a decision to believe the facts of the Bible, but not necessarily a commitment to that faith. Um, it can be a faith without repentance, because some people will say, well, if it's you you, re, you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you accept him as Lord, that's Lordship salvation. Well, you know, here's a reality. When I trusted Christ, he became my Lord. 
That was settled on that day. What he's still working on is for me to acknowledge that in every aspect of my life. That's the issue. It's not that somebody needs to trust Christ and he needs to be the Lord of all or he's Lord of nothing. That isn't the issue. If I have trusted Christ genuinely, I have said he is not just my Savior, he is my Lord. All right? And the evidence of that over time is, do I respond to him in obedience? But here's the question we're asking, and this is where I think it gets a little trickier as I wrestled through it myself, because these verses are familiar. What does, as you just look at these verses, not thinking outside of these verses, that was the hard part for me. I did exactly what you did, Phyllis, and that is I'm thinking through, here's all the right answers I would get, but it's like, but squeeze myself back to these three verses. What does believe in him mean? What are some things we see there that could give us a clue? What's what's involved in this package of believing in him in these three verses? Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Okay. So what is that telling us? <coughs> well, what is that telling? It tells me that if I want eternal life. Okay, it's telling us something about Jesus. Oh, what's the it telling the power of Jesus? Well and, and, and that he is the one, right? That as he's going to say here, we have to accept, believing means we accept who Jesus is. Who he's described here is, is God. He is the Son. And as if you go through the Gospel of John, so I'm jumping ahead, but let's just start here. A Jew would understand this. We wouldn't get it. But to say that he is the Son sent by the Father, they understood he's God. So, believe in Him is going to mean I accept who Jesus is. He is God. He is the Savior. And ultimately, if you can look at the fine print, He is my substitute because I'm condemned. He's going to have to be condemned for me. All right. So, that's the first part. I have to accept it. So, you've hit that. What else do we see there? And I've already kind of said it, even though you might not have caught it. First, we've got to accept who Jesus says He is. That's believe in Him. What else do we need to accept? Jenny. We need to accept who we are and we're people who are condemned. Exactly. So that's the simple two things here, all right? That's what we've got to see here is that the very simple, narrow message of believe in him isn't just simply, yeah, I believe some facts and you know what, if 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 you don't measure up to the rest of the Christians, God's still good with that. Well, yeah, you're right. In some sense, that's true. I'm not trying to measure up to anybody else in this room. The measuring stick is Jesus Christ. But if I am truly Jesus Christ, I am not going to be content with (coughs) or willing to stay on a path of continued disobedience because that isn't following Christ. And so believe in him, and here's where it comes down to a very narrow answer. It all points back to Jesus. We are condemned. But he came as a savior. He came as God, savior, substitute. All right, let's jump over to the next ones. And these are probably simpler. I'll read the first passage. I won't read the second one because we've already alluded to it. Acts chapter 4, verses 8 through 12. (coughs) Peter uh, heals a, 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 a man, and here's how he describes that healing to this man. 
Uh, he, let's start with verse 9. If we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone or the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. That name, verse 12, points back to verse 10. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Take that statement with John 14, 6. Jesus answers Thomas, doubting Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. So the simple question is, what do these passages tell us about salvation? And again, don't think too deeply, because they both say the same thing. What do these passages tell us about salvation? Think generally... Pardon? You have to believe in Christ. Okay. That Christ is the only way to be saved. All right? Now, that assumes something. Yeah, go ahead. Um, but we're sheep, and sheep are stupid. Mm-hmm. And the Bible does say that by the foolishness of preaching, God chose to save men. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know what I mean? So it is simple. At the same time, yeah. You understand what I'm saying? Oh, absolutely. Because here's what we do. I mean, what we do, Vince, is we think so heavy into things as an adult. That's why Jesus said, you have to have the faith like a child. We think into things so deeply as an adult, we think ourselves silly, and we think stupid conclusions. That's why we have a world that is gripped with, I'm right, we're all right, but anybody that says they have the one and only way, they are dead wrong, all right? Because they've concluded through all the thinking. But that faith that God gives us makes us realize Christ is the only way to be saved. And here's where I would take it another step. These passages tell us about salvation that everyone needs to be saved. Because if he is the only way, then that's assuming there's a problem. That's assuming that he came to resolve that one and only way to get to God. Which is saying if he is the only way then we are not on that way except through him. All right? So that's where we're going with that. Now, I'm going to just jump through 1 Timothy chapter 2, where go all the way down to verse 5 in that text. I won't take time to read it all, but just verse 5. It says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. So, I don't know if how many of you have any Catholic background in your, your church history. Um, ever wrestled with how in the world did the Catholic Church get that so wrong? How did they ever think that Mary or a priest or anybody else could be that person with just this one verse alone, let alone many others, right? Because this one can't be, I mean, crying out loud. No matter which language you're going to put it in, that's pretty doggone clear. There's only one mediator, one go-between between man and God. It ain't Mary, it ain't a pastor, it ain't a priest. It's Jesus Christ, alright? So again, we have a culture that doesn't like that. But if you think back to Jesus, probably, oh, matter of fact, in the same area, in Matthew chapter 7, um, he's talking about all the different people, and we know this statement about the, the broad, narrow way that leads to destruction, 
and uh, the broad way that leads to destruction, and then the narrow way. And what does Jesus say about the narrow way? It leads to life. Few will find it. Okay? So Jesus is already saying before, and, and again, I'd have to look at the chronology to see when he said that in Matthew 7 and when he said what he did in John 14. I'm pretty certain John 14 was probably at least a couple, maybe a year or so removed from that. So he's already said few that will be the finding because John 14 is right before he's going to be betrayed, Last Supper, his crucifixion. So he's been saying it all along in his ministry. There's, this is a really narrow way and few that will be to find it, and that isn't a positive message. And I'm sorry, Joel Olstein, but we're not here to give a positive message. We're here to give the truth and let people then, by the grace of God, see what a positive message it is. It's grace. You know, that we, on the other side of being blind, have come to the conclusion that we didn't come to this conclusion. God brought us to this. We would have never come to this conclusion. We would reject it for the rest of our life. That's God's grace. Now, here's the article. And here's what I, I, I throw a picture up. Oh, man, I didn't put the scriptures up there. I'm like doing this thing. I don't even know why I do the PowerPoint every week. No idea. All right, so I threw a picture up there. The deep end of the pool. All right, to illustrate this article. If you took the mission to read this article, number one, it was long. Number two, um, this guy is what you would call an apologist that he's interviewing. He's a defender of the truth, but he's also a deep end-of-the-pool thinker. He is a philosopher. He's a think-it-through. And I'll admit, most of what he said was good. There's a couple things that I got, like, big old honking question marks in the side panel of mine. I'm sure you did, too. Seen by some of your faces, if you got to read it, going, okay, I would not conclude that, and I would have a problem with that conclusion, all right? But for the most part, it was good. Um, so it's not like, don't just write it off and go, well, I didn't read it, now they said that, I'm not going to read it, all right? There are some really helpful things in there. But because it is so long, I'm just going to highlight a couple of sections. Um, this is... Well, the, the author of this article, Lee Strobel, interviewed, and I always forget how to say his first name, Rabbi Zacharias, I don't know how to say his first name, I always just forget. All right, he interviews him, he's well known, he's, his background is from being in India, Hindu background, so Hindus being very much, and it's funny, because you get into the article, <coughs> he admits that Hindus say that they're very open to all things, but at the end of the day, even an atheist is narrow-minded, all right? Because we can say, well, we're, we can, they can say we're real narrow-minded, we're bigoted, and all this kind of stuff, but at the end of the day, an atheist is saying, I don't believe there's a God. Well, you've chosen a narrow solution, because quite frankly, atheists are the smallest minority in the world. I mean, there's many, many people who believe in some kind of God. The smallest slice of people in the world, I would venture to say, are atheists. And yet they would say, this is our position. Well, okay, that's narrow-minded. That's more narrow-minded, perhaps, than others, uh, even though it's growing. So here's where the article went. He started with, and I'm just going to hit a couple of these, on page 10.6. So jump ahead to 10.6, right column, bottom, says the arrogance of Christianity. And so uh, Lee Strobel plays the devil's advocate. He asks questions to get Dr. Zacharias, it's much easier to say than the rabbi or whatever his name is, Dr. Zacharias to answer as he, as he poses these questions. So he starts by saying, forgive me for being blunt, 
I said in prefacing my question, but isn't it grossly arrogant for Christians to claim Jesus is the one and only way to God? Why do Christians think that they're justified in asserting that they're right and that everybody else in the world is wrong? And he goes through and discusses it, but part of what he discusses there is, even though that's said about us, if you'll take time to read through that, that answers that he gave there, which we don't have time to explore, he shows how so many of these other religions have a narrow-mindedness to themselves as well. They would exclude us based on what we say, even though they would say we are the exclusive ones. So the point in saying that is, in his philosophical thinking, is that's a non-issue. Because that happens with all religions. Uh, One religion rejects another. So that isn't really that, even though... It is more popular to say, yeah, there's many different ways to God, because a lot of religions will say that. A lot of religions in our country will say that. But here's what he did say. Go across the page to 10.7, and all his philosophical answers and arguments later, he cuts down to, I think, a practical answer to this problem, why the arrogance of Christianity is not always well-received, even though we're not trying to be arrogant. We're just saying, here's the truth. This is what Jesus said. It's what it is. Go to 10.7. You see that box in the middle. Go to the right of it. Uh, There's a paragraph that starts with saying, Zacharias side. All right? Go down to right where that box points the corner, and it says this. Christianity's history has some explaining to do with its methodology. Okay? He starts to go on to say, one of the problems is in Christianity's history, and we do, we've got some really black eyes, we've got some really bad days in our history of Christianity, particularly through the Catholic Church under which we get lumped, um, and, and all the stuff connected to the Holy Wars and the Crusades and into the Reformation and different people within Reformation movements getting put to death and all these other people being burned at the stake, all these kind of things. So that doesn't help. All right, that certainly hasn't helped. And people like Richard Dawkins, who I brought his book in a few weeks back, he's going to pull off of things like that in history. He's going to pull off of things in the Old Testament to say that. But going beyond that, all right, we're not doing that. We're not out beating up non-Christians. We're not out hauling them off to prison. We're not uh, putting them at the stake to be burned. But he go further down in that article or that column, And he's talking about Gandhi, who he will refer to later. Gandhi says this in that paragraph. It says, in India, we have a proverb. Read down about the middle of that. It says, Mahatma Gandhi said, (coughs) I like their Christ. I don't like their Christians. Hmm. I get his point. Now, it doesn't mean that Gandhi is necessarily a Christian. Okay? But his point is... The mindset, the thinking, the direction of Jesus Christ resonated with him. But what he saw in the Christians seemed so counter to what they said that they believed. Go further down, right below that, it says, uh, Friedrich uh, Nitzke said, I will believe in the Redeemer when the Christian looks a little more redeemed. Okay, now we can start saying ouch and ouch, okay? Because part of showing and conveying, and I and I... I'm going back to answering my question here. All right, so let's go back. What is the central question or issue before us? How do I effectively communicate that Jesus is the only way to God, Christianity? 
And I think part of that is this very issue right here. This seemed like a really small issue in all of his philosophical discussions, but at the end of the day, most people don't want to engage you in deep, end-of-the-pool discussions. But they're going to watch your life, and they're going to conclude, why do I want to lose a day of my weekend to go to church and give up my money to be like you? Because you ain't no different than me. But if I say Jesus is the only way, and I'm living a different way because of that, radically different, there's something to sit up and take notice about. There's something to go, hey, you love people in a way that I've never seen people love another person or treat another person. And unlike what Gandhi says, he's saying, I like their Christ, I don't like their Christians, sometimes perhaps, and I can't, we can't make excuses for people because at the end of the day, they're going to be judged by God. But could we be an obstacle or a hindrance? Of course. We could be great at communicating that, but how we deliver it, how we live it, how we respond, how we act, how we react, how our attitudes are, are we a bad complainer at work? Well, you know what? If, if I am a complainer like everybody else at work, how am I different? Because if you stop and look at what Paul wrote while he was in prison to the Philippian church, he says, do everything without complaining and arguing. And those are two of the most natural, easy things in the world to do, complain and argue. And he goes on to say that that's part of the brightness of our light shining when we aren't doing that. So again, let's just be really simple. That's part of the day-to-day living out, I believe Jesus is the only way, but that doesn't mean, if you watch the whole interview of Oprah with Joel Olstein, man, it's just ridiculous. You know, her asking him, believe that God should bless you? Yeah, I believe God should bless me. And he's, he's in a multi-million dollar house. I'm not kidding. Um, and it's way God should bless us. And, and who would want to believe in a God that doesn't bless you like that, you know? Well, now I hate to say, but you have just gone with the Reader's Digest condensed version of the Bible to come to that conclusion. All right? Jesus poor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're exactly right. Jesus even said it himself. He doesn't have a place to lay his head. Um, he had to be buried in a borrowed tomb. Um, so he never advocated that. Um, and if anything, well, for certain he advocated where our riches are to be aren't here because they're not coming with us. Now, why does God bless some people with riches? I mean, you know, how many of us have thought, I confess, my wife and I have said this multiple, multiple times, how much have thought, how cool would it be to be rich and be able to help people with this and this and this and this? You ever, ever even thought of that? Come on, be honest. Oh, yeah. All right, yeah. And so the reality is God knows we wouldn't do that. So he hasn't given it to us. Darn, you know what? I thought I would, all right? But that doesn't mean that there are Christians that because they're rich, they're just giving it away. No, that's part of what Paul had to say through Timothy to us. Don't let riches define you, consume you. Godliness with contentment. Now there's something to work with, all right? And I'm saying all that to say whether it is complaining, arguing, whether it is living for all this wealth, it's going back to this issue right here. The arrogance of Christianity becomes arrogance and stupidity when we say that we believe this, but yet we, we don't follow the way that is the way of Jesus Christ. Right? If we say he's the only way and we believe that, then what, what creates an ever-increasing arrogance and rejection by people is, but you're no different. Why in the world would I want that? 
All right, let me just pause for a second. I've been saying a lot, and usually I ask more from you. Any comments so far before we jump into the next statement? And then get me to buzz through the next one and our consult other sources. <coughs> Don't you think it's more arrogant to say that all religions are simply different paths leading up to the same mountain than saying that just yours is arrogant? <laughs> Don't you? I mean, so Christians think theirs is just right, and the Jews think theirs is just right, and the Buddhists think theirs is just right. But the person who says, you're all right, so he's standing on the top of the mountain and he's got a view that nobody else has and he can see that everybody's right? right. Don't you think that's more arrogant than... But we would all say, amen, preach it, sister. <laughs> but, right? I mean, you can flip that around. You can, absolutely. And that's exactly what Dr. Zacharias does. He flips that around. But the reality is, that's true, and that's right. But we've only come to that conclusion, and we all go, amen, sister, that's right, go on with it, turn the pages, and keep going, is because Jesus has made us believe that. And yes, it is arrogant to say that, but it is much more popular to say that by far than to say what we say. Because when I, I've seen interviews, when Oprah has said that on her show that went off the air a couple of years back, a few years back, you know, five years ago, I can remember multiple times seeing seeing video clips of her saying that, and everybody in the audience is going, yeah, you know, like, yeah, there's many ways to go. I mean, if she would have said John 14, 6, and said, Jesus is the only way, that is it, period, I believe that, I would really love to see what would happen in that audience. I would love to see, because her background, her growing up is Baptist. So she's, you can see at times in some of these things, I really believe she's wrestling with what she knows to be true, what she's wrestled with, she's hearing, and she's somewhere in between. Yes? Um, going back to college as a grown-up, <laughs> hearing over and over about a, a particular mantra, I really think that that whole philosophy comes from the notion that God isn't really real. He's whoever you perceive him to be. So man has invented God in their eyes, in which case anything goes. But a response to that is, if if man invented God, well, then anything goes. Okay, you're right, anything goes. But if God invented man, then he has the right to tell him what to believe. Do you want to risk that? But people don't want to conclude no. that. Most no, people want to deny that there is a God because if they admit, number one, there's a God, then they know they're in deep trouble. Yeah. They're in deep trouble. And to admit that is to go, darn, uh, I better figure something out. Okay? Let me jump to the next one, and, and we'll keep jumping in because we got six minutes left, all right? Uh, let's just jump to, I've got origin, meaning, morality. Let's skip that one. Um, let's go right to, because of time, let's go to, so what about Gandhi? 10.11, that page. You see the statement on 10.11 says, so what about Gandhi? If you look across to the left paragraph, that, step, that thinking already starts in a discussion. That paragraph immediately to the left of that large print, so what about Gandhi, says, but as you conceded, it is important how people live, I said. People say Gandhi lived a more virtuous life than most Christians. Why should he be sent to hell just because he wasn't a follower of Jesus Christ? And Dr. Zacharias admits that's about the time he takes a break and these conferences going, <clears throat> this one's a hard one, all 
All right? Because son of Sam or any other crazy man who's done some horrible things and that makes a profession of faith in prison right before they're put to death, how is that, and I'm going to use the words of society, not words of Scripture, how is that fair that this man would be granted eternal life and yet Gandhi, who if he just believed his own thing and was a, an incredibly virtuous woman like Mother Teresa or whatever, how could it be that God would not let him come to be with him? How could that be? That doesn't fit well with her thinking. Jenny? Um, I actually had somebody ask me this uh, a few days ago. He was He's, he's really wrestling with Christianity and uh, he pops up every every couple of years and, and debates. He's like a he was a fervent atheist for a while, and now he's like, you know, Christianity is beautiful, but blah blah blah. Um, and and he said so. You know, is, is Jesus in the way? I said, yeah, you know, we have to like. And then he says, but you know, what if I just you know if I really do a good job and I do the work and blah blah blah. blah. And I said. Bible says all of your good deeds are like filthy rags because we're not comparing what we do to each other. What what we do is just be compared to Jesus, and it will never, ever, ever measure up. So it doesn't matter how quote unquote virtuous Mother Teresa or Gandhi is. The fact is, is that they still are sinners, and they've still offended God. And if they don't come to accept Christ. Sorry. Yeah, and, and here's I mean, this what you're saying goes back to even what Val said, and that is, but isn't it narrow to say that all of these are right? And and see that makes sense to us, to the majority of people. What we say doesn't make sense. What they say makes sense. Um, same thing with that is part. I'm sorry. Well, part of it is you know we we are. There will be times when we will have to admit if. If we found out in history, I mean, it's just a weird hypothetical, that right before Adolf Hitler committed suicide with whatever his wife's name was, I think her name. Igorot. Um, right before he did that, if somehow he just realized I was a monster, I, I don't know why I did this, and somebody had shared the gospel, and he trusted Christ, and we found that and read that, how happy would we be? You know, how would we be like, you know what, that kind of rots. You know, he did all that stuff and God forgave it, you know. But understand, and I say that because here is, there's a book in the Old Testament. I'm going to give you a hint. There's a book in the Old Testament. It's four chapters long. And there you go. You got it. Who was it? Jonah. Okay, this is Jonah's issue. Okay, we all think that the reason Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh is because he was scared out of his britches. I'm sure that might have been part of it, because the Assyrians were brutal, brutally monstrous. I mean, when they destroyed cities, they cut off all the heads of the leaders, of the kings, whatever, and they piled them out in front of the city to make a message. And they did that wherever they went, to be incredibly brutal, hauling, dragging kings like they were dogs with a hook through their chins, everything, just brutal. So we may say, well, that's why I didn't go. But we find out the real answer. The real answer is when he went and preached and they repented, he says, what? This is why I don't want to go. I knew you were going to do this. I'm going to preach. They're going to repent. And I don't want them to repent. I want them to burn because all the things that they've done, you know. Now, we go, yeah, I wouldn't be like that, you know. I, I would have been like, you know, praise God, revival, you know. 
We haven't lived through what he lived through with the Assyrians. But if we live through that, say, if we were uh, Chinese who lived through the aggressions and the wickedness of the Japanese, and to this day, when I first year teaching at my university, the students admitting that they still have an attitude towards Japanese, and kind of it, some of it's a, it's a taught attitude, all right, quite frankly. But they finally admit it to them. It's because Japan would never fully admit that what they did was true, was historic, was real. And if they did admit it, they didn't want to take responsibility for it or make reparations for it. So they're like, that stinks. And I'm, I'm giving that illustration to say that's part of where society struggles, and that is it ain't fair to let these good people die and not get God and not get eternity and not get heaven and let these, and these evil people. But think about who... Who went to heaven within moments, perhaps, or went to the place of paradise, I should say, within moments of Jesus' death? Okay. The dude that was just railing on him for who knows how long before finally, in God's grace, just like we read 2 Corinthians 4, 3 through 6, he was blind until the very last minute, and God opened his eyes, and he's with Christ in paradise. Now, we go, praise God, that's great. But you know what? If we were one of those persons that were brutalized by him, beaten by him, stolen from, had a relative murdered by, and Jesus Christ forgave him at that moment, I, I venture to say we might wrestle with being just a little bit ticked, a little bit unfair, like, why would you do that? All right? But yet, that is Christianity. That's the narrow path. It is only one way. It is a way that will exclude many. And it will exclude many who are really, really good people. There are people that we can admit in our growing up neighborhoods were better people that we've known for being generous, helpful, kind than, uh, I wanted to say many, that's not fair, some Christians we know. Um, and that kind of fits with what God is saying. So I've run out of time, and I'm sorry, but I would go back to that question answering, how do I effectively live out that Jesus Christ is the only way Christianity and I think a large part isn't that we are the best at answering the philosophical arguments of others we are best at silencing those arguments by how we live um, we can say many things but usually that inflames people if we live a certain way and we live like Christ that can be the very thing that silences them so they finally listen to those words Right. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the fact that we can call you our Father, not because we sought you out and finally found you, but because you sought us out, you gave us to Christ, and through Christ we are now yours. And I would pray, Father, that we would recognize that it is a message that is very hard to believe in our natural way. It is impossible to believe. So we can't convince people by just sheer argument. But we can show them the truth, we can speak the truth, and we can plead before you that they will have their eyes opened to that truth. So we pray toward that end, and we pray that even before this week is done, we might get the opportunity to do that with somebody we work with, live by, or we are related to. We pray in Christ's name.